As we uh, get into our, our sixth discipline here this morning, I'm reading from uh, Matthew chapter 6, just like last week, and picking up right where that passage left off in verse 16. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. <clears throat> okay, so, so the, uh, the six habits, do you remember what they were? Worship, uh, the Lord's Supper, Scripture, community or fellowship, and uh, prayer, and now we come to fasting. And so in this short passage, it's three verses, and it's uh, right after last week's text about prayer, and, and, and it needs a little bit of background, just like last week's did, to understand uh, Jesus' culture and the people he's talking to. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount again, so, so those teachings that are kind of put together there uh, by Matthew in his gospel, things that Jesus preached, maybe or maybe not on the same occasion, probably not, um, but, but he teaches them, and, and so there's this condensed teaching. And, and so he follows up last week's teaching about prayer, and he talks to them about fasting. And so uh, for the people that were his listeners, for the ancient Jews, they would have had several different kinds of fasts they were familiar with. There was kind of the normal fast where you don't eat or drink anything but water. So you can have water, but not food, not other drinks. And uh, it would be to prepare for some significant event, like Jesus uh, fasting for 40 days to be prepped so that he could go into the wilderness and be tempted by Satan. And so Jesus is getting himself ready spiritually, and, and so he fasts for 40 days there. And so it says in Matthew chapter 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So all part of that temptation experience is he goes out and he fasts for 40 days. Then there's a partial fast, uh, like is mentioned in Daniel. And so in, in, uh, in the story of Daniel, there's been this decree that you're not supposed to, to pray, and, uh, and there's been opposition to their faith. And it says, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. So he'd been mourning for three weeks about what's going on in Babylon. And then he says, and all that time I had eaten no rich food. No meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotion until those three weeks had passed. So there he's fasting from rich foods. He's still eating, but fasting from rich foods, fasting from meat and wine, and he's not using lotions. He's not like taking care of himself in that way, but he uses those things uh, to express his deep sorrow and, uh, and his mourning for what's happening in the nation around him. Then there's no food or drink, so there's, there's the absolute fast of no food or drink, even water, that Esther does, does for three days. And she's looking for God's 
leading. She's looking for discernment about what she should do. And, and so it, it, we're told in, in the book of Esther in chapter 4, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, uh, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. And if I must die, I must die. So she's going to go do this courageous act. She's going to step up on behalf of her people. She knows that you're not supposed to go before the king unbidden. It's usually his idea if you come to see him. And to walk in there means there's an opportunity for him to get upset. How dare you walk in here without being asked and uh, off with your head. Or he might forgive her. And so she says, if, I, if I'm going to go and I'm going to do what God's calling me to do, but you guys all fast and pray, and me and my maids, we're going to fast and pray, and then I'll have the courage to walk in there, knowing that I'm, I'm prepped. I'll, I'll be seeking God, and, and this is the idea of what I think God's calling me to do, but I'm going to confirm that by us all praying together and fasting together. And Paul did the same thing when he found Jesus on the Damascus Road. He had to shift directions. He had to change his lifestyle. He had, to, he had to figure out what all this means, right? Because he believed in Scripture. He believed in the God of the Old Testament. He believed that God was going to send a Messiah. He just had no idea it was Jesus. And so he thought this Jesus guy was the furthest thing from the God that he worshipped. And then he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. Jesus appears to him. And he's struck blind, and he says, Who are you, Lord, when Jesus speaks to him? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And his whole mind's blown, and he's got to figure some stuff out. And he's got to take these pieces of what he's always believed about God, the ones that are true and the ones that he got wrong, so that he didn't recognize the Messiah when he heard about him. And so he didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah until that moment. And then he had to figure some stuff out and figure out what that meant and what needed to change in his ideas about God and what was consistent and still stayed the same. And so we're told in Acts uh, chapter 9, verses 8 to 9, Saul picked himself up off the ground right after Jesus had appeared to him and he fell back. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. And he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So Paul is looking for direction. He's trying to figure stuff out. He's seeking God to figure out what's true and, and to make this big decision to follow Jesus. And, and so he fasts for three days and he doesn't have anything. And he's seeking direction. And so there are a few times in Scripture where, where those kind of things happen, right? These different kinds of fasts, partial fasts, full fasts, the regular fast, and then there are public fasts. There are times when people fast together, and so uh, there are a few times when that happens on the Day of Atonement in, in Leviticus chapter 23. Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement on the 10th day of that same month, nine days after the Festival of Trumpets. You must observe it as an official day for holy assembly. So people are coming together. A day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. So they're denying themselves so they can present gifts to the Lord. So they can focus on God. Or there are times of national crisis for Israel. And, uh, and we're told that, that after that, that day of atonement, after that the armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the, 
Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat and, and messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazaron Tamar, which was another name for En Gedi. And so there's times when things are happening, things are stirred up, and, and, and the whole nation is, is seeking the direction of God. And so Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. So there's these times of kind of spiritual depth where they're seeking God, where they're, where they're kind of grinding it out, trying to figure out what he wants and what should we do next and, and who God is and what he's, he's asking of us. And so it happens on the Day of Atonement. It happens when this situation happens with the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Meunites. And, and so the nation kind of bears down and they, and they focus on God and fasting is part of that. And then in, in Ezra chapter 8, uh, we're told that, and, and there by the Ahavel Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and to humble ourselves before our God. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us our children and our goods as we traveled. And then he goes on to say, for I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and to protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king our God's hand of protection is on us, on all who worship him, but his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us and he heard our prayer. So they're traveling, and he goes, I, I was embarrassed to ask the king to protect us because I already told him God protects us. So I got to make good on that. I got to show him that I really trust God to protect us. But he goes, well, I, I don't want to go into that lightly, so we're going to need to fast and pray. We really want to dig into the Lord here and, and, and make sure that we're in tune and we're doing what he asks us to do. And so they fast for that purpose. And so Jesus teaches us uh, about fasting. And, and so fasting comes on the heels of that teaching on prayer. And, and Jesus uh, assumes that the disciples, that his followers, will fast. He doesn't say, if you fast, do it this way. He says, when you fast, here's how it should go. And again, he returns this negative example of not to follow. Don't do it like the hypocrites. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. Remember, that's what he said about the prayer so that, that uh, some of the prayers that were done kind of for show. And he says, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. And so at the beginning of this chapter, there was a pattern. Even before our passage last week, in, in, at the beginning of chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Right? He says, don't do good deeds in order to be seen by people, for you lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And then last week, it was when you pray, uh, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. And so good deeds and prayers and fasting, they aren't practices you do to be admired or to get attention. You're, you're not showing off how spiritual you are. You're not hoping that people will notice and go, boy, that guy. That woman, she's really a woman of God. He's really a guy that's seeking God. And so he says, don't do it 
conscious of what people are saying and what people are thinking, but only be seeking God's favor. And so he says, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they look, try to look miserable and disheveled. I didn't do this as an illustration this morning, but it works out. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. They try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they'll get. He's saying again, your reward that comes from God, you don't get it if you're, if you're looking for a reputation, you can have that. If you're looking to impress people, you can probably pull that off, but you can't focus on that and focus on God. You can't have both. You can't have your heart in two different places when you're doing these spiritual things, when you're praying, when you're doing good works. He says you can't do it with mixed motives. You gotta be focusing on God. That's the whole point of doing it. Otherwise, the whole reward's gone, and the only reward you're gonna get is that people are impressed by you. And if that's what you're looking for, you might be able to pull it off. You might be able to get people to admire you, but then you'll miss out on God's admiration and God, God's relationship with you. And you'll miss the whole point of the exercise and be doing it wrong. He says, that's, I'll tell you the truth, that's the only reward they'll ever get. If you're doing it with other people in mind, it destroys what was going on between you and God. And so it just becomes about impressing other people. And so you, you, you see the thread here as we go through these spiritual gifts. Community is one of, one of the spiritual disciplines, one of the gifts. Like we're supposed to be in this together. And even when we're told to pray, it's our Father in heaven. And, and there's this communal aspect to the faith. We're, we're supposed to do things together. It's not just an individual, you know, this is, Jesus is my personal Savior. And, you know, like a personal pan pizza. And it's just you and him. And and you just get to enjoy him, and he gets to enjoy you, and it really doesn't matter, and church is inconsequential. I hear that all the time as a pastor. Well, I don't need to go to church. It's like, you don't need to. You get to go to church. You get to be part of the body of Christ, working it out together. And so there's all kinds of instructions in Scripture that don't mean anything if you're not in relationship with the body of Christ. We're told to be in relationship. There's stuff we learn from each other. There are gifts that God gives us specifically so we can share them with the body and he gives them to other people in the body so they can share them with us so that no one person, including the pastor, has all the spiritual gifts and is independent and can just do their own thing by themselves and have a relationship with God without the need for other people. And so while Jesus is teaching us about that and while that spiritual discipline is there of community, there is also this, also this caution in that, that sometimes when we gather and we do certain spiritual acts together as a group, you can start to be conscious of other people are listening to me while I pray. I want to do this in a way that people think well of me. What will happen if this Sunday I don't get up and go take communion? What will people think? Or if I, if I do this this way, if I, if I do something publicly and, and, and it's embarrassing, what if, what if they're all looking at me? And what if, what if they don't think well of me? Or what if I say no, what will they think? And so we can become so aware of the people around us and their reactions. I remember growing up in the church, you know, my, 
my dad would give me a, a nickel or, or later a quarter to put in the offering plate. And when I was a teenager and I was kind of coming to faith for myself, I, I, I got asked to join the choir, me and my friend Steve. I think it was to keep us from acting up down there because they figured we'd be on display. I don't know if it worked or not. Some days it did and some Sundays it didn't. But I remember my dad saying to me, you got to put something in the collection plate. Never pass the collection plate without putting something in. Even if it's just a a dime at least. But if people see you passing the plate, that'll be embarrassing. And I remember getting really tender about that and thinking, I don't want to be doing this. Like realizing it was like God put on my heart, don't do this to be seen. And I... I actually went the other direction. I started like giving my offering, putting it the plate on my way out of church. Like I found out where the plates were and I'd have my offering in my envelope and I'd drop it in there quietly just because I, I needed to not be doing it to be seen. Not because I was so spiritual that I'm doing it that way and that makes me spiritual. You should see me and hear this story and be, admire me. But there's just this sense that, that when God is convicting us of those things, that he gives us a sense that even things that we can do publicly, if we're doing them publicly, looking for some way to be admired, then he says, then maybe you need to readjust and do them privately. And so it isn't that we can't pray publicly, like we said last week, but we don't pray publicly in such a way that we are, we are focused on other people and, and how they're taking our prayer and whether they're impressed by our flowerly theological language or, or the repetition of how we're saying it over and over again or we're so impressive when we do these things so he cautions us again about all these spiritual disciplines that it's so easy to be living out your spiritual life in such a way because we're so aware that there's always somebody looking and going well i like this and i don't like that i like the way this was done i don't like the way that is done and kind of coming to church as connoisseurs and then they feel like well i don't want to do something because i don't want to be on the in the firing range of that and Jesus is teaching here that we should just be so conscious of God. So we're in relationship with other people. We want to be forgiving and accepting of other people's flaws and do all those things to let other people off the hook. But when it comes to our own hearts, we make sure that we aren't focusing on what they think and what they say and what will people say about me and what have I heard that they're saying about me and and be so conscious of other people and what impresses them that we, we lose our focus on the fact that we are dealing with Jesus. So we aren't in it just ourselves, but our motivation needs to be singular even when we're living out our faith in front of other people. And so in just these three verses, Jesus follows up that theme and he says, look, there's this way of doing your spiritual life. You need to be doing it together, but don't be doing it to impress people. Let go of that desire to impress people. I I love what, it's a quote from uh, Georgia O'Keeffe who said, I have already settled it for myself so that flattery and criticism go down the same drain and I am quite free. Like, like flattery, like, like, I'm not, I'm not doing it so that for their praise and I'm not avoiding anything because it's being criticized. Like I'm not, I'm not bound by those things. My, my identity isn't in whether people do like me and it isn't when people don't like me. 
my worth, my, my sense of self, my, my, my desire to do the right thing shouldn't be impacted by people's approval or people's disapproval. And so Jesus cautions his followers, if you're living out before God, then, then you're freer to be in relationship with other people without letting what they might be thinking. And often we think they're thinking things that they're maybe not even thinking. But that aside, we shouldn't even be concerned with that. We should live our faith before God, but to do it in community, free from the pull of criticism and free from the pull of flattery, but just to live before God openly and honestly and to do that together in a community that supports you and loves you and put ups with your faults. That's a beautiful thing. And that's what he's calling us to do. That's the kind of community he's calling us to be part of. So you can see that the themes of these disciplines kind of fit together in this grid, in this, in this group of disciplines, these habits that we can do that bind us together but free us from the pressures of other people and their thoughts. So that we are seeking God together, but it's him we're seeking, not the approval of other people. And so Jesus tells them, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father will see everything and will reward you. He says, comb your hair, right? Wash your face. Comb your hair or literally put oil on your head in their day. Like, like do these things. And, and they're grooming things. It's, it's washing your face, putting oil on your head. And it's not a religious uh, uh, ritual to put oil on your head or to comb your hair. He's talking about that social thing you do when you go, I'm going to meet people. Let's just make sure I'm kind of put together a little bit. And, and I'm leaving the house, Right? think I maybe should switch out of my pajamas. I'm leaving the house. I'm going to run a comb through this. People might, I might run into people downtown. And, and so there's this, this thing that's just a social thing. And he says, do that so that people aren't focused on your, on your appearance one way or the other. And they won't be picking up on the clues that, you've, that you're trying to subtly give that you've been fasting. It's like in Ecclesiastes when he says, go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Like, like put yourself together and just get out in the world and don't put on this sad face of this spiritual thing you're doing. Don't try to look spiritual, especially by being glum, but go out and just enjoy yourself and be a real person that's got the joy of the Lord in them. Don't try to hyper-spiritualize it. It's an outward expression that you're out enjoying your life and celebrating your life and enjoying that, that your life, is, he says, is not inconsistent with fasting. If you're focusing on God and fasting, it isn't about grinding it out and making life difficult for yourself, but just so that you can focus on Jesus. There's been a few times that we've hunkered down for a fast. And I can remember early on discovering fasting and, and, and doing it, and, and Roxanne did it, and we did it for, I think it was 48 hours, and, uh, and in our fast, she said, you know, the amazing thing is I never thought about how much time I spend 
thinking about what we're going to have for dinner and then prepping dinner and then cooking dinner and then eating dinner and then cleaning up from dinner. Not that she did all of that by herself, but, but it was just the whole thing, right? It's all the time you put into that. And she said, when, when, when we weren't doing that for two days, I just had all this free time, this extra time, and it allowed me to focus on my prayer life. Like my day wasn't broken up. And that's what this discipline is about. I don't know if you've ever fasted, but I would encourage you to just try it out as a discipline. And it might not be a full fast. It might be a partial fast. You might be giving up something else or, or giving up, like, like Daniel, giving up the, the lotion and giving up uh, you know, certain foods or certain other habits that you have, certain things that you enjoy. Setting them aside and saying, they take time, they take energy, and I'm going to focus that energy instead on Jesus and on his kingdom. And we can find that in those moments of sacrifice, it becomes not a burden and a duty that makes us glum, but a joy because we are zeroed in. We feel the effects of focusing on the Lord Jesus and the joy that that brings to us because we are in tune with our purpose for and our reason for living.